0: We have been working through the book of John, 46 messages in to the book of John today and we are in John chapter 12 and as we've been working through the book of John, we've been working through the book in light of the reasons for why it was written and we're not going to read that again, you know it was written so that we might believe and have life in his name, and we're going to see that again in our text today. The, the writer of John, uh, John's gospel, John, continually brings these themes up over and over and over again as he writes. And, and really, John 12, one of my favorite chapters in all of John. It's a magnificently powerful chapter in this gospel. And particularly, where we're going to be studying today, over the years, many have tried to write and define and describe the ministry of Jesus. Its purpose, its scope, there have been many books written, there have been many scholars that have shared their opinions, and in the section of John that we're going to study together today, Jesus is going to answer questions related to both the scope and the purpose of his ministry. These are Jesus' words. Why did Jesus come? How far would his ministry reach? What kind of legacy would Jesus leave behind? Just like we witnessed last week, there were many who thought that they knew Jesus, but truly didn't know Jesus. There are many who have written books and think they know the reasons behind why Jesus came, the scope and the purpose of his ministry. But isn't it best to hear these things from the words of Jesus' mouth? Himself. And that's what we're going to get to see today. Jesus today is going to define for us in his own words. He's going to define and describe the scope and the purpose of his ministry. He is explaining to those who have gathered uh, what his true legacy would be. And these words, church, should serve as an inspiration to all of us who desire to follow Jesus. He's drawing us in here. In verses 20 to 36. And he's saying, now is the time. Know my mission. Hear my purpose. And see what I'm about to do. Then follow my lead. John chapter 12 verses 20 to 36. Let's pray. Lord, we open your word this morning with great anticipation as a congregation joining together in this exercise that your spirit is working within, knowing that you are going to use your word to change us, to change us in a powerful way. Lord, we know that that is the power that the words of the Bible have. We know that your spirit intends to use them. And so we're praying, Father, that you would open our eyes and our hearts to understand the truths that you would want us to receive this morning, that we might leave here changed, growing in a greater love for you and a greater love for each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John chapter 12, verses 20 to 36. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida, in Galilee, and ask him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify Your name. Then a voice from heaven came. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now this is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out, and I... When I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to Myself. He said this to show by what kind of death He was going to die. So the crowd answered Him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and he hid himself from them. We want to begin this morning by coming around a common understanding of what Jesus' mission was on earth, knowing his mission. And we've spent a few weeks here in John chapter 12, and and in just this chapter we found a number of different responses to Jesus. The Gospel writer has zoomed in from a broader angle to show us the many different ways that people would respond to Jesus and His ministry. We have Mary at the beginning of John chapter 12. She's responding in worship and honor. Then we see the disciples, who many were indignant About what she did. We have the crowds in John chapter 12. All of them are responding according to their own understandings of whom Jesus is. Some of them even misguided. We have Pharisees. We have chief priests. Religious leaders. Responding with the intent to murder. And now. Now church. We have the curious world. The world is responding to the person of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus and it appears from John 12 that the responses from Mary and the responses that we see here at the beginning of the text from the Greeks are really the two appropriate responses to Jesus we either fall at the feet of Jesus in worship and submission to who he is or we come with questions questions aren't bad remember Nicodemus came with questions did he not it's okay The responses that largely defined the crowds, the indignant disciples, and the religious leaders, they're not healthy or productive ways to come to Jesus. And today, for the first time in John's Gospel, we see that Greeks are coming to Jesus. It's evidence that the ministry of Jesus is spilling outside of the walls of Jerusalem and the Judean region. And as Greeks, whether they were proselytized and converted or not, these men would not have been allowed to participate in the Passover. They would have had very limited access to what was an entirely Jewish celebration. And isn't it interesting in our text, the disciples that they come to, these men were not ignorant of Jesus and his ministry. They come to the exact Disciples that they know can interpret and understand their Greek. Philip and Andrew, being from Bethsaida in Galilee, would have have spoken their Greek and and they would have known and understood what they were trying to say. What were these Greeks seeking? Were they hoping to learn more about Jesus and his ministry? What's going on here? Some scholars even have debated that, that these Greeks... May had already come to a believing knowledge of Christ and were coming to ask if they would be allowed to partake in the Passover feast. We don't know. And we won't know on this side of heaven why they came. But regardless, this passage is enormously, enormously important. It marks a turning point in the life and ministry of Jesus. The world is responding. All people though not allowed full access to the jewish celebrations would be allowed full access to jesus friends jesus is not just a savior for the jews he's a savior for us as well his miracles were evidence of this even when he came and he cared for the roman centurion's servant his miracles and his ministry were visible to all who were present to witness them not just the jews And the question that we see in verse 21, when I read it, it echoed in my mind the question of Moses in the wilderness. Look at what they say. They ask Philip, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. We wish to see Jesus. And Andrew and Philip, they respond by going to tell Jesus that the Greeks are seeking him. And when Jesus is confronted with this reality that the world is responding, he answers with a curious statement. In verse 23, and we said this is a turning point because now, this is the first time in Jesus' ministry that we see Him say what? The hour has come. Do you remember all the other times when people came or when something happened and people had questions? My hour has not come. My hour has not come. For the first time, the hour had come. And as I read this phrase early in the week, the question came to my mind. And again, this is just thinking of the great enormity of our God. Are these the very men, these Greeks, that in the fullness of time, God had prepared for Jesus and explained to him would come when his hour was nigh? I don't know. I'm not sure. But Jesus' response here is evidence to us that a part of Jesus' mission is concluding is it not the great descent of jesus to come to earth as a man and walk alongside shoulder to shoulder with men is coming to an end jesus will be glorified but perhaps not glorified in the way that anyone could ever have imagined so he gives them a clue he gives them an illustration of what his imminent glorification ...is going to look like. Take a look at verse 24. And know this before we read it. Whenever Jesus says the word truly, truly... ...you know how when someone says something to you really important... ...and you lean forward in your chair... ...because you really want to hear and understand? When you see Jesus use the words truly, truly... ...think about that. It's time to lean forward. Time to lean in and really listen... ...and grab hold of these words that Jesus is saying... Really important here, friends. Look at verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, church, we live in Lancaster County. This is a... We understand this, I hope. This is a very agrarian society. We know the values and the realities of farming. The realities that Jesus speaks of here should not be foreign to us. And it's interesting that they were not foreign to the Apostle Paul either. Jesus' mission, church, is to die in order that through his death, abundant life might be produced. And I think it's amazing that Jesus is living the exact reality that he's calling his followers towards. Laying down his life for the sake of others. Church, he calls us to do the same thing. John chapter 15, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life, die for his friends. Paul said in 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty-one: I die every day. He then continued by saying this in verse 36, You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies, dies. Church, the evidence that we truly believe what Jesus is saying in the next verse, verse 25, is whether or not we're willing to die so that He might produce fruit through our lives. Look at verse 25. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it. For eternal life. The pattern of hating our lives, church, looks like laying down our lives for one another. This means that sometimes we experience discomfort. This means that sometimes the Lord leads us into uncomfortable, unclean, messy, difficult places where children are waking up every two hours at night saying they have to go to the bathroom only because they're terrified. Difficult places, difficult behaviors, difficult people, difficult jobs. Giving away our lives isn't easy. It doesn't feel good. When we lay down our lives for one another, we lose our lives here on this earth. It means that, church, we're going to face criticism. We're going to face rejection, opposition, brokenness, fear. We're going to face anxiety, These are the same things that Jesus faced as he laid down his life for us. I have to tell you that this passage has come to light and life in our home in this season. And I will not speak to myself. I'll speak to my wife who's not here and you haven't seen for a few weeks and maybe won't see for another number of weeks because of the difficulties of what this is. But I'm inspired by the way that she is living this passage. I'm not going to get emotional you talk about laying down your lives for other people. People that you hardly even know. People that the Lord's just brought into your life. And you see the reality of this gospel truth coming to light. It's a beautiful thing, church. It's a beautiful thing. And it's not on our own strength. And please hear that. Please hear that. This is something that the Spirit produces in our lives. And then we're compelled by His work to live that way. To live this way. Verse 26, it's a great encouragement to us. Look at it. If, if anyone serves me, if anyone's doing this, laying down their lives for the sake of their brethren, dying here on this earth, he must follow me. And where I am there, my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And we see the answer to a few questions in this verse. First, how can a person be honored of God? I think it's a great question, and and this is the first time. I've read John so many times. In fact, I reread it this week, and it was in the rereading of John this week that this passage for the first time, this question jumped out on the page at me. How can we be honored of God? Serve Jesus. It's right there in the text. And second, what does it look like to serve Jesus? Jesus gives us the answers right there. He uses two words. He says following, follow. But then he also says this, where I am, there will my servant be also. So follow and abide. Abide. These are words that Jesus will come back to over and over again in his ministry. Church, we can only do this if we believe And if we do believe, then we should be a thankful people, for we did not come to our belief on our own human understanding, but it's been revealed to us by our Father in heaven. Laying down our lives for others, dying to self, evidence of belief, hope for eternal life, the promise that where Jesus is, His servants will also be. Hopeful church, encouraging words for us today. And here is Jesus' mission in a nutshell. The mission, church, was to die. And it was to die in order that God might bring forth a bounty of followers who would lay down their lives for one another and are honored of God for serving Jesus. That was the mission. Jesus came to die. It included you It included me. And now we might ask, what was the purpose of the mission? The why? Why did Jesus do this? Why did he come to die? And the answer to that question is important, is as important as the mission. Itself, And Jesus gives us the answer in verses 27 to 29. It's, it's beautiful. He defines His purpose for us. Everything with purpose. We've said that from the beginning of John. There's nothing Jesus does that's not without purpose. Why? Why did He come to die? Look at verse 27. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. What is it? Father, glorify your name. I love that when Jesus is confronted with the reality that his hour is now here, his soul is troubled. We were reading Psalm six this week in our staff devotions we're going through the book of Psalms this year book of psalms as a staff psalms in the old testament and we're doing hebrews in the new testament so this week in our staff devotions on wednesday we were in psalm chapter six and verse three came up and boy doesn't this sound like the words of jesus my soul is greatly troubled but you O oh lord how long in church we must never forget the full humanity of jesus It is indeed what truly made him the Son of Man, as he often referred to himself as. Jesus really did suffer. It's not make-believe. It's not made up. He was fully God. He was fully man. He really physically suffered. And not only physically, but we see the depths of his suffering, the depths of his struggle here. There's emotional suffering. There's social suffering. Lost. There's mental strain. Remember Jesus in the garden. Lord, let this cup pass. As he prayed. And it's in this suffering. The suffering of Jesus. That we find absolute horror. And fabulous glory. Existing side by side. It's one of the great paradoxes. Of the Christian faith. If man is to experience the glory. And honor of the gift of eternal life. It will only come by the horrors of the cross. It's the only way, friends. Jesus had to die. He had to suffer. As part of His mission, and as part of His purpose, to honor the Father. Jesus' purpose is concise, it's clear. We can't miss it, we don't have to add to it. And isn't it beautiful that as soon as He says it, Father, glorify his name. As soon as, Father, glorify your name, as soon as he speaks the purpose of why he came, how is it confirmed? Isn't it beautiful? It's immediately confirmed from the heavens. And so, if Jesus came to die in order that God might bring forth a bounty of followers who lay down their lives for one another and are honored of God for serving Jesus than the purpose in verse 28 for His death and the fruit that it would produce was so that the Father's name might be glorified. Friends, church, if we sit here believing today, do we understand that we exist for the same purpose? To glorify the name of God. It's why we say that it's our mission. Loving Living, leading for what? For God's glory. For God's glory. A voice from heaven comes, it alarms the crowd, but it reminds us of the reality that God was glorifying His name throughout the ministry of Jesus. Not just in His death. God was glorifying His name all over the ministry of Jesus. At His baptism, at the transfiguration, all of the miracles, power over death, water into wine, calming the storm. God was receiving glory in all of it. The Father here is affirming the purpose of Jesus' life and soon coming death to the crowd that had gathered. Others would know. Men would know. The world would hear that God is pleased and thoroughly glorified, satisfied by the work of His Son. And now that we can see his mission, hear his purpose, he's now going to move to show us what his actions will be. What is Jesus going to do? What is he going to do? Look at verses 30 to 33. Jesus answered, The voice has come for your sake, not mine. It's not for me. I didn't need to hear this affirmation. The affirmation's for you. Now, this is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out and I when I am lifted up from the earth will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. We have said that this portion of John's gospel marks a turning point in the ministry of Jesus and indeed in one way we see this by the world coming to Jesus but in another way we will now exactly see what Jesus is going to accomplish in this hour. He defines it for us. Here's what's going to happen. The judgment of this world has come. Jesus had already come into the world. The indictment had already been made. Remember the verdict from John chapter 3, verse 19. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved what? Darkness. Rather than the light. In light of this judgment, friends, there would be a transfer of power. A decisive defeat. This is not a battle. This is not yin versus yang. Good versus evil. We hear a lot of that and see a lot of that in our culture today. That's not what this is. This is the sovereign God of the universe claiming what has always rightfully belonged to Him. This is what's happening. Satan stood no chance. None. The great ruler over sin and death would soundly and decisively be defeated, cast out. Light and life will be victorious. Jesus is going to trample death, crushing the head of the serpent. If you'd like to do a little extra reading this week, maybe some of you like to do that. I There's a beautiful chapter in Romans. You want to write this one down. Romans chapter 8. Read John chapter 12 and read Romans chapter 8. So beautiful. It's so beautiful to see how the Scripture masterfully holds up and supports itself. There's beautiful harmony in the Bible, friends. The kingdom of God is now elevated above the dominion of Satan. Jesus' death and resurrection is the great reversal of fortunes. For humanity. Blind will see. Deaf will hear. Lame will walk. Those who walked in darkness will see a great light. Humanity, mired in sin and death, finds light and life. And church, this is true for all of us who have called upon the name of the Lord. And Jesus continues in verse 32, And I, when I am lifted up, from the earth will draw all people to myself. He's explaining to them the kind of death that he's going to die. He's going to be crucified. And in that crucifixion, very literally, he's going to be lifted above the earth. But he's also possibly alluding to his future ascension after that death. These are words that Jesus had previously spoken to the people. In John chapter 3, verse 14, remember uh, a long time ago we preached the sermon How is Jesus Like a Snake? right? And it was John chapter 3 where it talks about this, and Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man also be lifted up. And isn't it curious that the title Son of Man is used here just as it's used in John 12 today. John chapter 8, Verse 28 Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught taught me. And it was also foretold, church and the prophets of old Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. After he is lifted up, Jesus says He will draw all kinds of people to to Himself. And this is an important point to pause. We need to distinguish something here, church. It's important that we stop and understand that Jesus is talking about all kinds of people and not all people or every person in general. The context of this passage demands an interpretation that relies on the presence of the Greeks in verse 20, we can't take Scripture out of context. Jesus here is not talking about every individual person. This is not an argument for universalism, though some would like us to believe that, is, that it is. When Jesus is saying all people here, He's referring to all kinds of people. Jews, Gentiles, Greeks, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every language, all kinds of people. I will draw to myself. And it was important. Why was it important? Because we remember that Jesus is operating in a religious system that's predominantly uh, Judaism for the Jews. This distinction was mightily important. I don't know if we give pause to give it the credit that it deserves today in the church. But it's important we understand that Jesus was saying that he is going to draw all people from all over the world, all types of people unto Himself. And we certainly see that today as we celebrate our global partners. Here, serving in America, but serving in all different parts of the world as well, Jesus is drawing all people to Himself. Every tribe, tongue, language coming. And so if we know the mission of Jesus, and we see His purpose, we see His actions, how might we follow in his lead how might our lives look in light of these realities it's a great question and it's answered in verses 34 to 36 so the crowd answered him we've heard from the law that the christ remains forever how can you say that the son of man must be lifted up who is the son of man so jesus said to them the light is among you for a little while longer walk while you have the light lest darkness overtake you the one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Then Jesus departed and hid himself from them. The crowd here, remember, mostly Jewish. What are they doing? They're leaning back on their human knowledge. They have been taught particular realities regarding the Messiah. From their teachers, from their rabbis. They've heard the same things all their lives. And what Jesus is saying here doesn't jive it doesn't add up. Do we still use that word today? Jive? I do. I use it. I just used it. Unapologetically, I use the word jive. It's a perfect example of how confusing it can be for us sometimes, church, to understand and accept true concepts that are new. This was new to their minds, new to their way of thinking, but it was absolutely true 2 Samuel, they're leaning back on, on these truths, but they're understanding them from a very a rigid, one way perspective. Your house, your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me, your throne shall be established forever. They're expecting a physical throne, a physical ruler, and they're basing it on Scripture and their understanding and interpretation of Scripture. Daniel chapter 7, 13 to 14, similar truths. They're leaning On this they were looking for a physical throne on this earth one that would be established forever never in their minds did they imagine that the throne was in heaven and church I'm gonna say that this led me to a difficult question for myself this week as I wrestled with this as we anticipate the second coming of Jesus what are we missing where might we be guilty of some of these same things. I, I don't know. I need to inspect my own heart and my own understanding of Scripture. But I think it's very interesting that the Jews expected one thing and Jesus came. Everyone thought they knew who Jesus was and what His reign was going to look like. But when He came, isn't it interesting, He turned their preconceived, preconditioned, predetermined, presuppositional understandings of Him upside down. Let them. He was looking nothing like they thought he would look. And, and it was a challenge to me this week. I'm careful when it comes to my understanding of eschatology and end times and the second coming of Jesus, because I often don't want to find myself guilty of some of the same things as I study and read his word. They say, if you're going to be lifted up, if you're going to die, you cannot be the Son of Man. Tell us, who is the Son of Man? Their question is begging. What should we do, Jesus? What's our next move? In light of all of this, how are we supposed to respond to you? And once again, as we said last week, Jesus, this is a great opportunity, right? If he wanted to Get an army to go and take over the Roman Empire. Now's his chance. You want to know how to respond to me? Rise up and fight! Let's go. Join the cause, people. Let's go do it. Let's go overthrow the Roman Empire together. They'll fall and worship at our feet. He says none of that, does he? Look at verse 35. I love the words of Jesus here. The light is among you for a little while longer. What does he say? Does he say run? Does he say fight, does he say, beat against the wind? Walk. Walk while you have the light. let darkness overtake you. How might our lives look in light of these realities, church? Walk in the light. I had an opportunity a few weeks ago when Garrett was preaching to share with our students. I got to go up and talk with our 7th through 12th grade students up in the white building. By the way, there's a white building that exists right up there on that side of the property. And believe it or not, there's about 40 to 50 7th through 12th grade students that meet in there on Wednesday and on Sunday, and it's a fabulous group. I'll tell you, it's a great group. And I got up there to meet with them and talk to them, and I shared with them uh, what I believe will be the most difficult thing for them. And church, I believe it's also the most difficult thing for us and for myself. When we boil it down, we all share the same struggle. Yes, the circumstances of our struggles look different. Yes, the situations are not always the same. But the struggles that we all share, the struggle that we all share is this. Do we believe it? Do we believe it? And if we answer yes, then our follow-up question has to be, it has to be, do our lives reflect that we believe it? And and I still think today in my own life that the most challenging thing when I'm wrestling with difficulties and going through things, I go back to the question, what am I not believing about God that I say I believe with my mouth, but the attitudes and the actions of my life aren't in line with it right now? Lord, help my unbelief. Somebody else said that, Mark chapter 9. Help me to walk in the light. Help me not to feel like I have to run or chase after the wind or fight as men who have no hope outside of this earth. Help me truly live like I have more to gain in eternity than I do right here, right now, today, in this life. People of hope with eternity set before us, walk in the light. And as we walk, Jesus, through His Holy Spirit, produces within us these things. And hear if they sound familiar to you. As we're walking in the light, Jesus, through His Spirit, is producing within us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And yesterday, at dinner time in my house, I confess to you, that I made a plea to my biological children that if I heard one comment that was not full of joy or gratitude, that they would be sent immediately to their bed for the rest of the evening because I could not handle the opposite anymore in my life. But it's amazing. I mean, we're to live this way, but, but we're not to live as if we have to produce this behavior out of ourselves we can't do it i can't do it there are times that feel hopeless in my own home in these last few weeks and i've never felt that way in my own home before and in those moments to lean back on the lord and say lord i cannot walk right now i cannot walk i know what that looks like now you need to do it and he's doing it he's doing it and then look at what he says in verse 36 so we're to walk in the light Verse 36: Why you have the light isn't this beautiful? What are we to do? Believe. These things are written that you might believe. Believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Church, darkness, its patterns, its outcomes, they surround us. I mean, you watch the news the last few weeks. You want to talk about fear, anxiety, stress? I talk about it in my own home, but my goodness, we all see this. It's the pattern of our world today. Worry, bitterness, envy, shame. And isn't it true, church, that these are deeper than behaviors? These are are things that They produce unhealthy behaviors. It is interesting to me, the Pharisees were men who only looked at behaviors and actions and judged based on behaviors and actions. Jesus always looked behind the behaviors. I love that about him. The Pharisees refused to look past the behavior and see what attitude or motivation of the heart was driving the behavior. The reality, church, is that sin surrounds us. It's deeper than what we do. Sin is not what we do. It's who we are apart from Jesus. Apart from Jesus, it's how we're defined. It's why Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Because our lives are defined by sin apart from Him. Defined by darkness. What we do is a pattern and an outcome of who we are at our very core without Jesus. Remember when I talked about Romans 8? It's so beautiful. But now, for those who are in Christ, there is what? No condemnation. No condemnation. His light has given us freedom over sin. Sin no longer has dominion over us. We're children of light, called by Jesus to walk as children of light. And church, if you're here today and you're believing this, and you are also a son or a daughter of light, Once shackled in slavery to sin and death. But now, church, we can rejoice because we are gainfully shackled. Gainfully shackled as slaves to righteousness. And this isn't bondage. This is our great freedom and our greatest joy. Jesus, our victory, sets us free to live bound to righteousness. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And I pray today, church, that we would believe it, that our lives would be a reflection of it, and that we would not try to produce it in and of our own strength, but we would let the Spirit work through us and the love of Christ compel us and motivate us to love others exactly